star as a natural comedian since his earliest days as a class clown in Rockaway, New Jersey, where he was born. His love of entertaining and making people laugh continued on to his college years at, each, at East Strasburg University, where he earned a degree in speech pathology. And I think I need a speech pathologist right now. It was at East Stroudsburg he discovered the nearby hotels in the Pocono Mountains. So he got an act together and began to perform his stand-up routine with tremendous audience response at those resorts. He drew upon his heritage, on his childhood experiences and family life for most of his material. His humor is universal. Rick says, if you work clean, you can work anywhere. Rick's warmth and charisma on stage have enabled him to make audiences laugh across the country for over 40 years. Rick has appeared with such stars as Gladys Knight, Donna Summer, Tony Bennett, Tony Orlando, Eddie Arnold, the Pointer Sisters, Huey Lewis, Shirley Bassey, Peter Allen, Steve and Edie, Frankie Valley, Huey Lewis, the I think I said the Pointer Sisters already, Marie Osmond, Eddie Rabbit, Little Richard, The Four Tops, The Temptations, and Kathy Matea. Col columnist Bob Rakes said in his review of one of Rick Rick's performances, quote, a number of ingredients go into Rick Starr's act. There's a youthful innocence. There's a professionalism. He's so good. He makes it all the timing, the phrasing, the delivery, the attitude look easy. Star and his audience can be hysterical even before he finishes a gag. Rick has worked in every kind of venue across our country, from small clubs to big casino rooms, colleges, cruise lines, TV and radio, and corporate gigs at IBM, Ford, AT&T, Coca-Cola, MetLife, Philips, Carrier. And now he's our guest, our podcasting guest on Something's Happening Here. So here's a big... Big welcome to my friend, Rick Starr. Good morning, my brother. Good morning. <laughs> Sounds like I need a raise. <laughs> you need a raise. You know, Give me more see. money. Okay. Yeah. How you been? You look good, man. How Thank you? you. I mean, I, like when you, when we used to run around together, I'm about 135 pounds heavier than that oh, right aren't now. Aren't so you can't, you can't see, you can't see Santa Claus's belly right now. <laughs> So, gosh, yeah, it's been a long, long time. Yeah, from acting school. Yeah. Classes. Yeah, and by the way, for my other listeners, Rick was a student at um, one of my previous guests, Bob McAndrew. That's and, right. Yeah. You know, you know, I want to thank Bob. I never got it. I'm sure I mentioned it to him along over the years and stuff, but he is probably the number one reason for my success. Really? I, yes, you know, I never pursued the acting end. I've done a few little things, but you know, stand-up comedy was the, the stage, the theater, the live. But what he did in our classes taught me how to exist, how to how to be on the stage and show up for the job, as opposed to trying to be something that you're not. I mean, you can be something you're not, but you have to emotionally work on that. Is what right. Bob used to tell us, but. With stand-up, it was, I just, you know, showed up. I never I just showed up, man. I never worried about anything. We just, and I delivered the lines, sometimes not the same, but they were always funny because I delivered them the way I felt. And I owe Bob that. I really well, do. Well, you know, and that that's it. You're in the moment and you, you, right. you're, you're talking to that person that's in that room. And that's, that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know. Emotional, uh, and, truth, emotional truth sells. Emotional truth sells. And. You know, and I'll go back to that clean part. You were clean. I mean, you didn't, you know, you, you, yeah. you don't have a lot of uh, genitalia jokes, if yeah. at all, you know. 
It was, I'm not opposed it, to that. I mean, if if it's funny and it's dirty, that's that's there's a market for that. But you know, I feel if I'm working clean and and I can work anywhere, I don't have to worry about editing anything. You know. And, and but but I will tell you is I realized when I told you when I was going and looking at your YouTube videos and yeah. I said I love the timeout bit. I really love that bit. That's what my father. Yeah. Timeout to my father was from the time he hit me till the time I woke up. You're right. That was so. But but you gotta you know you but it, it, I mean you're not going to tell that at you know the the children of you know uh, of abusive parents uh convention you just you're not, you know you're not going to tell it there but you got to know your audience right but um i i mean i related very much even though with today's sensitivities you know that's funny because yeah. i that occurred to me it's changed a lot over the years i mean i've been at this since professionally since about 70 372 73 maybe wow yeah that long yeah you know i i, I still I was, I was a speech therapist when I, I got my degree in 71 as a speech pathologist and right. i did that for a couple of years and then as i was doing that i was picking up little jobs here and there as a comedian and then at one point i decided i said you know rick you've got to make a choice because you're not doing either job justice you're coming in late at night getting up early in the morning and you're not doing your day job and, and then you're not doing your your night job I wasn't working that much, but I was getting some some work and and the more work I got. And then finally, I said, I just got to bail out. And I, I retired from the uh, speech pathology and I dove into uh, showbiz full time. I, I mean, I picked up some time the first couple of years. I see. Sure. But I've been on just doing comedy since probably 74. 74. And yeah. that was primarily in the Poconos you were working? That's, that's where I started, those hotels in the Poconos. There were tons back then. There's nothing now, but there were tons back then. Every... There was probably 20, 30 hotels that you I could be home the same night. You know, it, it's it's it. You know, I'll call it the Gentile Borscht Belt. You know. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, and 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 you 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 can go to the Catskills today, and there's nothing. Right. Z, there's zero, and it's a goddamn shame. You know. Yeah, I worked all those hotels up there in the in the Catskills, and I could still be home an hour and a half drive to the Catskills. Right. Those were next door. I, I stop at the local bar after the show, and I, then I'd go home. But the Catskills, you know, I did show up there, and I'd probably be home by 1 o'clock. And it, it was, and I'd drive up there two two days a week, three days a week, and then a couple of days at the Poconos, and I was home. I felt like I felt like Danny Thomas in that TV show he had, where he, yeah. he went, went well, to the well, club every day, every night he came home. But, you know, I remember the first time somebody said to me, you got to travel. Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was a cruise ship. Somebody said, oh, you got to travel. You're going to be away for like a couple of weeks. And I went, no, I can't do that. You know, I, I just I was so used to being home and working. Once the traveling started, boy, then it got to be hard. It really did. I mean, the planes and trains and, and automobiles and it was just it's got to be a real grind you know just you know travel. well I, I in my job as in sales i traveled for 40 years and it was a grind and people think oh you went to all these places i said yeah but you know yeah. getting on a plane is like getting on a bus i mean it's it is and i can't imagine today what what it's like i, I mean i can't imagine that you know if i don't ever get on another plane again you know I, i've been blessed my wife and i we've, we've been around the world a couple of times you know i always tell people they say well where, where have you been around the world i said well i'll tell you what i've been to gandhi's house there you go so <laughs> top of that so where else do you want to go i've been to gandhi's house you know oh man this is one of the questions you know i wanted to ask you is how, how did you 
I know you, even though I haven't seen you in a long time, though we've talked, I haven't seen you in a long time. I know you're a family guy. I mean, right. and I'm a family guy too. That was one of the reasons why I left the business because I didn't see myself doing summer stock and being away from my, my family for, you know, eight weeks. So, yeah. I mean, how did you, how did you deal with it, it being away tough. from your fa family? It's, it's probably a lot easier today with, uh, uh, with the, you know, the zoom and the messaging and the, uh, you face chat FaceTime and stuff like that but right I would uh you know I I remember calling home a couple of times a week like if I was on a ship I'd have to go up to the radio room right <laughs> the go, hi honey it's me you okay over <laughs> yeah Jillian just lost a tooth over okay well and it was like five dollars a minute <laughs> you know and then when I get to a port I had a, a AT&T uh, card back then you know there were no yeah. cell phones and then once the cell phones came in, it got to be pretty easy to keep in touch, you know. But one thing I have to admit, I never, ever, 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 ever put show business above my family. If I had a birthday, my daughter's birthday, I was home. I never, ever worked on a Christmas. Oh, excuse me. I did work one Christmas. I worked the cruise ship, but I took the family with me. Okay. That was, that was a stipulation. I had, had to be able to take my family. Other than that, I've been hurt every birthday that my daughter ever had, every Christmas, every holiday. I, I was never ever away for, for any of that. I always put family first. It's probably why I never, you know, became a big, big star. I often think back, like when I first started, you know, you have that glimmer of being a big star. And, oh. You know, a name in the lights and all that stuff, you know, just people asking for your autograph. And then as I got older and, and started to get in, I said, you know, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want everybody digging into my private life, snooping around my house, looking right. for trash. Yeah, I just want to be, I want to go on stage. I just, I still feel this way today. I want to go on stage, do my job, go out the back door and go home. I don't really, I don't really want to mingle and mix. And uh, I, 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 I'm kind of uncomfortable when people compliment me, actually. You know, it's strange, really strange. Um, I'm, uh, I can't, I can't subscribe to that philosophy. <laughs> It's so, you know, you grew up in Rockaway and how did that, like growing up in Rockaway, when you grew up in Rockaway, it was all farms. I mean, how did that shape? Well, yeah, it wasn't farms. I lived in the Stony Brook Road there, which was, a, it was a suburb, you know, it was a it yeah. was house next door, house across the street kind of thing, you know, small backyard. And mom and dad. Hey, dad come on. I grew up in Wayne and you were west of Wayne. It was. Oh, it was well, like, oh well, Wayne, Wayne was a metropolis to us. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And Wayne <laughs> was farms. Valley. You go to Wayne Valley or Wayne Hills? I went to Valley. How do you know about well, Valley and Hills? Because we played football against them. Oh, you played against Hills. Yeah, Mars Hills. We we played against right. Wayne. Oh, we played the Valley. We played the Valley too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was a big star in high school. You were. What yeah, did you yeah. Play? I was I was an all county football player. I was a leading scorer in in hockey, and uh, I was uh, second in the conference in the half mile. So you graduated what, 67? I mean, 17. I have to tell you. No, it's okay. I graduated in Listen, I graduated in 1973. Three? I was out of college then. Yeah. So I, 60, 67 was my high school graduate. Yeah, you graduated the same year as my sister. So, so we, you, it, was, it was, high school was great. Was some of the best times of my life were high school. Now, you performed with a lot of stars over the years. Yeah. Is there any, any stories that you can like share with us? Oh yeah, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you about them. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. All I could say was there were some, 
you know, when you travel with a star, it's it's funny because you, you you're like the entourage. You get to be, you know, some people people come up to you. They want to talk to you because they want to get at the star. You know, right. That kind of thing. So you feel pretty important, but you're not. You're just an right. opening act kind of thing. But um, some acts were were great to travel with, and some acts were just it was unbearable. You know, they were just just stuck up, kind of didn't care. You know, guys like. Tony Orlando was the, was the best because it was like a big a big family when, when we traveled. You know, okay. the band guys and everybody we were just one unit. And Tony, we'd go out to dinner and everybody. It wasn't like uh, he he went out without. And like when we were Tara's in in Tahoe, yeah. we stayed in the hotel. He stayed at Bill Harris' house, big ranch house with a pool. Okay, so, you know, he could have ignored us and stuff, but he used to invite us out to the house all the time. You know, no kidding. Oh yeah, he was a great guy. Uh, Gladys Knight was a princess. I'll tell you who who was was the first guy that, that impressed me as far as being a nice guy. And I thought would ignore me. I was doing um, Peter Allen at Garden State Arts Center. Okay. Okay. So there's you know, there's eleven thousand people in the show, and I'm in my dressing room, and all of a sudden there's like a knock, and I said, "No, oh, he's not, not going to you know, talk to me. I, I'm just going out and do my act, and I'll be out of there before he starts." Knock on the door. It's him. Why don't you come over to my dressing room and? Uh, and have a chat. I want to uh, blah blah blah. And he, he asked me. He was in there with a couple other people, and, and he just asked me all kinds of questions about my personal life. And uh, we chatted for a while. And he signed a uh, autographed a, uh, an album for me uh, and a book. And uh, I said, "Wow, this guy's paid attention to me." You know, the Pointer Sisters were like that too. They would give you a gift. We, no, we were, yeah, we were in Atlantic City, you know. And then the last night of the show, there'd be a box in your dressing room, and you'd open it up, and it'd be like a, a shirt, you know, something like that. That's yeah. really cool. Oh yeah, and there were other ones that just didn't talk to you. <laughs> didn't well, and we'll and we'll, we won't give them the time of day right here. No, you know, you'd be you think if you traveled with somebody for a week, two shows a night, seven nights a week, they would say hello to you, and they didn't care about you. It's the opening act. They don't give it rat's butt about you but there were other ones that did you know eddie arnold was a prince yeah eddie what arnold. was it like i mean that, that i mean you do would it say to say eth ethnic humor yeah yeah okay yeah. I think that's what he liked about it we'll, we'll call it roots humor yeah you know but he 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 has a, a, an interesting audience how did his audience relate to what you did i have no idea I, yeah truth sells Harlan, truth sells, right? And I was right. just truthful. I was just, you know, a, a city kind of kid talking about my Italian parents. And it right. might not have been one Italian in the audience, you know. They, they but, know uh, Pizza Hut. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's about as Italian as they get. But he was he was just a, a, a sweetheart of a guy. Always uh, concerned about, I'll tell you what kind of guy he was. We're doing a, a rehearsal, you know, uh, sound checks and stuff, you know. My, my sound check and he's doing his like that. And he had a monitor that was in front of him, uh, you know, at his at his feet, and he was above the audience. And uh, he told the stage guy, he goes, "You got to move this monitor." And the stage guy says, "Why? You're not going to be able to hear yourself." He says, "Well, if you leave it there, these people here aren't going to be able to see me. So you got to move it." So he, you know, he made the sound guy move something technically that would would make his job harder, so somebody could see him. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. And, and that tells you about what, what yeah. stardom is to different people. You know, yeah. some people don't eat, you know, they yeah, turn their would, back on the audience. Yeah, he would invite you to dinner. You know, you'd always, yeah. after the show, you had a great meet and greet. You always had to go to his meet and greets, and which was which was great, you know. And I, <laughs> I still remember, 
work in Owensboro, Kentucky with him. And uh, we had a meet and greet after the show. There's cocktails and people mingling around. And this old lady, elderly lady, <laughs> comes up to me and she goes, boy, son, I really did enjoy your skit. <laughs> it was a skit. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much. Enjoy your skit. So from then on, it wasn't a performance or a show. It was a skit. Because oh, she was waiting to get to see, you know, Eddie. But you know, you've all, you also worked in corporate gigs too. You know, and yeah, what was yeah. what was that? What was that uh, like were, for you? Back, you know, back then they were big. It was big money, uh, big big jobs. I mean, and you'd work uh, like I, I did IBM and uh, MetLife. Yeah, these are at people. sales meetings or these are, I mean, what kind of events? Yeah, conventions, convention. When they had conventions, when the salespeople had big conventions, there was right. always entertainment. And I remember, uh, well, I think I was doing one with Marie Osmond. It might've been uh, MetLife. The, the, the speaker was after dinner, there's, there's a thousand people. And, and, and after, the, after the dinner, the speaker up and they're doing their promos and giving out their awards kind of thing. And, yeah. and, uh, blah, blah, blah. and it goes on and on and on and on. On and then he said, Now, now we're going to bring out the comedian. And a couple people, oh, this is what it was. It was an Optimist Club. That's what it was. It was the Optimist Club. <laughs> and these people started to get up. They've been sitting there for an hour and then they're going to sit again. They started right. to get up and walk out. And I walked out. I'm like, Come on, you're supposed to be optimists. <laughs> and they turned around and sat down. My um, goodness. I mean, you, you work cruise lines too. I mean, that had to be tough too. Yeah. Well, you know, I was working clean, I didn't have to worry about anything. No, my, my biggest problem is people taking advantage of uh, of your well, time. I can I can stay on stage for an hour and hour and ten, and, and be per, uh, you know no no sweat not not a no sweat. I could do that easy. Sometimes they say, oh, we want you to do two forty five minute shows. Well, it's not two forty five. It's not an hour and a half worth of material because you need two two openings, two middles, two closing. So it turns out to be like almost two hours worth of material. But they don't care. They want time. And I just remember some guy saying to me, you want something exorbitant? Like I had to stay up there for an hour and uh, 45 minutes or something like that. And he says, can you, can you do that? And I just looked at him and I said, I can do it, but it ain't going to be good. <laughs> you know? and, and what did he say? And I said, well, what, what can you do? I says, you want to you be happy with me and you want the audience to be happy? I'll give you an hour, hour and 10. I said, anything over that is going to be a waste of time. I'm going to be fumbling and stalling and, and hemming and hawing just to just to do your time rather than trying to be funny, you know? And then you start saying, where are you from, honey? And all yeah, that. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, so, yeah where, where'd you get that shirt, son? There's a lot of comics that you've, in your generation, I mean, who, who was uh, a comic that you really enjoyed watching or working with or being uh. in the club with? I'll tell you, there was there was a couple guys back then. Uh, I always liked Richard Pryor. Everybody so, says that. I always liked Richard Pryor because he was he was he was honest. He was just telling. He was just talking about his life, basically. You know. But there was craft to it. I mean, it, oh yeah, it, it, yeah. it didn't. I mean, he yeah. wrote that stuff. Right. You know? But he, but it seemed like he was just discussing. Even when he got fried there, he was just discussing it. But it, right. you know, it was funny. He 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 could make it funny. He was one of my big. I'm trying to think of the back back then. Nowadays, oh, any anybody who uh, nowadays uh, uh, these guys. I I like Kevin Hart now. The, the, I like Kevin Hart too. He's hysterical to me. You know this. Uh, uh, Kevin Hart is uh, Bobby Collins. I like. I love Bobby Collins. Now you know Bobby Collins, right? Yeah, I've known him since the old New York days. 
Oh my gosh. Down to earth sweetheart of a guy, man. He's really just a super guy. Real family man too. On That's the cool. inside. On the inside. Yeah. On the outside. On the yeah. Inside. Yeah. I just I, saw him a couple of weeks ago. He yeah. says, yeah, I went up to a club. He was working down here in Fort Myers or above Fort Myers. And I, I went and we chatted for a little while, had a little dinner and he goes up and he works. And when he got done, I looked at him. I says, you know, you're probably the number one reason that I'm retiring. And he goes, what's that? Well, why is that? I says, because I'm looking at you. I said, I could never be as funny as you. He's a pretty funny guy. You're oh, pretty funny. You're pretty funny too, dude. I know. And I'm, you know, I've just been at it so long. And I say, what's your life expectancy? You know, and I got to say, I got to start enjoying my life a little bit instead of working. I didn't quit. No. I, I think I told you, I feel like a, what this old, old baseball player has been, you know, ready to retire, but he, he's not quitting. So the coach, coach puts him in right field, you know, so he's out there. You know, Don't worry. The ball. He'll yeah. get to the ball. Don't worry. He'll get there. Yeah. If the ball hit to me, I'll catch it. So but let I, me guess. But you, I ain't let, running for it. <laughs> now, let me guess. You are a Yankee fan. You know, I was. No, I'm a Philly fan now. You're a Philly fan now. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you why. It's a great story. I was a duck, duck. My father was the most. I got two stories to tell you now. My father was the most diehard Yankee fan you could ever, ever imagine. He lived and died with the Yankees. Okay, so we're like five, six years old. He takes my brother to me to Yankee Stadium. We're sitting in a bleacher, you know. And Mickey Mantle gets up, and he was like a rookie back then. And he gets up and, and uh, hits a home run to right field. And my father says, you watch this kid. He's going to be one of the best ball players the Yankees ever seen. I said, okay. Gets up three innings later, boom, home run to left field. My father gets up, he starts cheering. He says, I'm telling you, watch this guy. He's going to be the greatest ball player the Yankees ever has. <laughs> three innings later, gets up again, strikes out. Okay. My father stands up. You couldn't hit a bull in the ass with a bass fiddle. <laughs> and I said, Chad, he just hit two home runs. <laughs> okay. But I got sidetracked something else about the Oh, Yankel. So here's how I became a Philly fan. My daughter was living in, in uh, Philadelphia because she was going to school and, uh, and uh, she's going to school down there doing her internship. And anyway, I was a Yankee fan, but you couldn't get tickets to see Yankee. I mean, you can't, you, you want to sit in the bleachers or right. you know, $100 to sit in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium. So she said, Dad, come on, we'll go see a Phillies game. And I went, all right, 40 bucks. And we were 15 rows behind the catcher. And I said, this is a ballpark for, for a fan. You right. Know? Not Yankee Stadium, they're all corporate seats. Right. You can't even get those seats. And I sat there and then I looked at the, at the Phillies. And I said, this is a real working man's team. And they're all, they're all hustlers and working. And then, you know, so I became a Philly fan after that. Yeah. My sister became a Philly fan after never been, after never rooting for either the Yankees or the Mets. She lives, by the way, she lives down there. She lives in Havertown. It's, it's a good town. It's a, yeah, oh, it's, it's a, a I, I love Philadelphia. Yeah. You can't make a left-hand turn in Philly because it, it's you know, no left-hand turn. No, I got to make three rights to get back to where you <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't don't start me on on driving around Philadelphia, man. <laughs> Next thing you know, you don't know where you are. Well, there was Philly. Here's, I was working Palumbo's with uh, at that time Jerry Vale, and uh, I was staying in, in in Philly, in Philly, like this. My but mother's I, favorite singer, Jerry Vale. Yeah, great guy, great guy. But I was working with him in, in uh, Philly at the time, 
and in at Palumbo's, which is Italian, like this. So after the show, I I pull up my car to the front of the the doorman's there, you know, and I said, uh, I I'm gonna uh, go inside. I need to pick up my jacket or whatever it was. I said, can you watch my car? He goes. Ain't nobody gonna touch this car on this block. <laughs> Just like that, you know. Didn't even have to lock it up. <laughs> that was a great place to work, Palombos, too. I worked there with a bunch of stars. Bobby Rydell, Jerry Vale, Sergio Franchi. Sergio Franchi. I used to watch him on Ed Sullivan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, how old I am. And, they, and the crowd would go wild when he'd come on. We talk about all the good things, right? You know, but, you know, bombing and heckling are hazards of your art form. You know, how'd you, how'd you deal with an unruly crowd? Well, I, you know, my, my humor, my style is so self-infacing that I never really got bad hecklers. I, I never really got that bad hecklers, but there was a, a couple of them that were, were just, and the women are the worst. How, you can't tell them to go f yourself. You you know because it's a woman. They're gonna right. then the crowd's gonna hate you. But there was this big and I won't say heavy set, but I'm gonna say heavy set. He's in the front row of this hotel. In thick. The, in the, thick. <laughs> in the in the Poconos. Now it's a it's an off night, so it's her and maybe 15 other people in a in a room that seats 300. Ooh. So it's a struggle to begin with. And she starts talking to me and heckling me like this. Oh, God. So I, I started to be nice to her. You try to get her on my side. You know, honey, what do you want to talk like that? Like this, like this. And uh, she said something like, oh, she turned to the other people. This is what she turned to the other people. And she was, look, he's trying to be nice to me now because he's dying up there. <laughs> and that, that just set me off. I looked at her and says, I'm not trying to be nice to you, fat freaking pig. Have another piece of cheesecake. See if I give a shit. <laughs> Wait, now, what did the management say after oh, that? The next day, I got a phone call the next day. You know, so, so, oh no, I called him. That's what it was. I called him, Tony Ford at this time. I called him. I said, Tony. And he called, all he said was, I heard. <laughs> that was it. That, she was probably the worst heckler I ever had. I, I just wanted to shoot her, you know, but I, you can't shoot them. So what are you going to do? You know, I, I, um, I saw Gilbert Godfrey, may he rest in peace. Oh, uh, yeah. He passed away yesterday. Yep. But I saw him up in at the Neville. Oh, wow. And he bombed. It was 1988. My father was giving my mother a 60th birthday present. So we had me and my brothers and sisters, and there were five of us, and cut my cousins, and it was like this big family weekend, and the act was Gilbert, and we all knew him, all the younger people knew him. Yeah, so he played, <laughs> he, this is crowd. not his crowd, <laughs> so we go to the, we go Friday night, we go in to see him, <laughs> and um, he is bombing on a level that, you know, it, when I saw him in the clubs, he would just kill. And he was like, 
there were he started like bombing and old Jewish people were getting up saying, you stink, you son of a bitch. And he started yelling at them. He started yelling at the people were just screaming at him. I mean, I survived the concentration camps for this. No way. And they were getting up and they were leaving. It was terrible. It was like unbelievable. And we were in the back in our and where a whole family was and we were laughing tears were coming he was but he never backed down he was absolutely no fearless keep, all you got to do is keep thinking about the check <laughs> he, ju he just kept going he did not stop and then when when his set was over we went we, we went into the bar and he was at the end of the bar and he was crushed he was just devastated and you know, we just said, hey, man, that was like the bravest effing thing we have ever seen in our lives. And he got fired. Next night, he was not there. And they brought in Pat Cooper, oh. who, <laughs> who, who friggin' killed matching your audience to your to, to well, your comic. You know, I mean, he he knew how I mean, he knew how to work an audience, especially one that was looking for somebody to make him laugh. So somebody told me one time, sometimes it's more important to know which jobs to turn down. Yes. As it is to take a job. You know, and, you know, you know that's that's true in regular life. I mean, there, there are jobs. Hey, you're not right for that job. You know, Steve, Bob, you know, Alan, Susie, don't don't that job's not right for you. You don't match up with those people. No. Right. Gilbert. Yeah. Well, you know, I. I mean, he's 180 degree. Go ahead. I worked up there forever in the Catskills. The Neville was one of my favorite hotels, actually. But actually, one of my worst shows was at the Neville. And why was that? Okay, this was New Year's Eve. Okay, New Year's Eve. And the word it was was the Falls View was next door there. Right. So went over the Falls View and you did a 10 o'clock show. You did a 10 o'clock show. And then you walked across the parking lot there to the Neville. You did a 1 o'clock show. Well, I didn't get on the Neville till 1.30. It's New Year's Eve at 1.30. Who's gonna, I'm not gonna win that, I'm not gonna win that. I held my ground for about 20 minutes and I just said, this is enough. And I just said, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I ruined your evening and I walked off the stage and- uh, They pay you? Yeah, I got paid. Arnold, the, the, the rap office, they were great for me up there. And, and Arnold, he called me up and said, what happened? And I said, well, I'll tell you what happened, man. They were yelling at me, throwing stuff at me. It was uh, 1.30 in the morning. Come on. So I, and some of those- New Year's Eve. Come, yeah, New Year's Eve. Come on. They're all drunk up. And some of those bungalow colonies up there that I worked were tough. They were they were extra. There was extra money. You you would do. Let's say you did the Neville, and right. then you'd go after the Neville. You'd run over and do a bungalow colony late, pick up another check, and go home. No kidding. There was there was this bungalow colony that I think I worked. Uh, oh, might have been it was, it was might have been the Falls View and that one of those hotels. And then I went over to this bungalow colony. Now I don't want to mention the name of this bungalow colony, but it was it was an ideal bungalow colony. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. I'm, I'm up there and it's by the time I get there, it's uh, one o'clock and there's a singer on there, an old singer with with a tape recorder. And he said he would he was, was I'm going to do a song by Engelbert. And he would hit the button on the tape recorder that was on a stool and then it, it would be Sinatra. So he says, oh, well, well, wait, that's Sinatra. That's Sinatra. And then he would stop rewinding the tape. He was like, I'm going, oh, my God. 
So I, I walk over to the owner. I'm traveling with this friend of mine named Martin. And I went over to the owner and I said, uh, what's the game plan here? And he looked up at me and he says, he's going to do an hour, then you're going to do an hour. And I went, holy shit, I'm going on at two o'clock. I got to go two to three o'clock. Well, this guy gets done and there's dead silence, you know? Right. So I, the consummate entertainer, jump up on stage, you know, come on, how about a nice round of applause? Give this guy that thing. He worked his heart out for you like this, like that. And he walks off the stage, okay? And I grab the microphone and I start to talk. And as I'm talking, he walks back out of stage, grabs the mic out of my hand and goes, that's mine, and walks off the stage with it. He took okay. the mic? Yeah, took the mic out of my hand and says, that's mine. And he walked off the stage with it. So now I'm stuck up there. So I start, and a guy, stage hand came back and gave me another microphone. Now, when I tell you I'm dying, I, I, I'm not getting crickets. I'm not getting a cricket. I mean, it was dead. This worst show I've ever done in my life. And I'm up there like 20 minutes and I'm looking at my watch going, I, this ain't going to make this. I ain't going to make this. So when I was had it fully up as, as much as I could take, I looked at my buddy in the back room and I went, Martin, start the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally... I literally jumped off the front of the stage, didn't go out the wing, jumped off the front of the stage, right through the center aisle, out the front door, and got my car and went home with Martin. Oh my God. You ever worked the you ever worked at Brickman? Yeah, yeah, I worked Brickman's. But there were a bunch of hotels to work at the Homoac, the Falls View, the Neville. Browns. Browns. Browns, they locked the gate. The one the one that worked like it was. It was a holiday. They they had to, if you were in the they, you couldn't leave the hotel because they closed the gates and, and nobody could come in or out after a certain time. And I went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I gotta he so the guy's stage manager says to me, park your car on the other side of the fence. <laughs> says, and then you can leave. And you can well, leave. why did they why did they do that to it was a, some sort of holiday or something that you you couldn't get in or out of the hotel at that point after midnight. You know, it might have been close for me. And I said, what am I going to do? I got to go home. He's park your car on the other side of the fence. These were, uh, these, you know, regardless of their ethnic background, these were tough guys, right? If I would say, if you could work there, you work anywhere. What are they going to do to you? What, what is it? I get these guys you know, these, in a, to go to a comedy club. And you go, oh, that audience was terrible. And I'm thinking, that audience is terrible. You, you need to... You know, you, you didn't get, get on the road. Yeah, yeah. That was the best training. Working the Catskills was the best training in the world for for an act. Because if you could work there, you could you could you could control any crowd you ran into. You knew what to do. There was nothing they could do to you. Because if you, you were funny, they were going to laugh. Yeah, yeah. You had to be funny. You had to prove to them. It wasn't you? They, they didn't give you anything. You had. Mm -hmm. They were fun crowds for me. You know, a lot of money and uh, and the drive was it was an hour and a half from my house. Casinos were my favorite. Carnegie Hall was fun. Because I looked across the street there and I said, oh, this is my old acting class. There it is. Yeah, right there. It's not there anymore, apparently. No, it's not. It's, it wasn't there when the, when I when I worked at Carnegie Hall. I looked up there. It looked like in his apartment. There were flowers in the window. And I went, yeah. that's not it. Gambling gambling places were my favorite. You know, Atlantic City, Reno, Top. Because they treated you, you know, you, I remember the, my, my mother never ever admitted that I quit teaching to become an entertainer, you know, so what's your son doing? And he said, yeah, he's a teacher. I thought he was a, he's a teacher. <laughs> you know, like that's where it goes. Sort of like, it's sort of like in uh, John Travolta in uh, 
Saturday night, <laughs> Saturday night fever. Saturday night fever, right? Yeah, you know Frank Jr. is not a priest anymore. He's a priest. <laughs> He's still well, a priest. But you know, when you worked as like Atlantic City, it's the, and you travel with uh, those stars, you you had uh, your dressing room had booze in it, your, uh, your sandwiches and stuff. Your room, your hotel room had booze in it. And you, all you had to do was call up and say, "I need another bottle of scotch." They send it up. So my oh. father and mother, they, they the first time I was in Atlantic City with Gladys Knight, and they I sent a, a car for them, drove them down to Atlantic City. They get a, I comped their room and everything, and and uh, my father uh, when he came in back to stage the dressing room, and I knew he drank uh, VO at that point, so I took a bottle of VO off the shelf. He says, "Take this back to your room, Dad." He's like that. He goes, "I ain't taking that." He says, "What? Well, take it." He goes, "Who's gonna pay for it?" I says, "Nobody. <laughs> take it." Well, then they sat in the front row kind of thing. And my mother, from that point on, that point on, there was no, he never taught ever. He was, he been he's a, a, comedian, a comedian and he's a good comedian. <laughs> We've seen him in Atlantic City. <laughs> See, I didn't have that experience with my parents. The experience <laughs> that I had with my parents was I was doing Off-Broadway <laughs> in, in one of the theaters at Lincoln Center. Ooh. And I'm doing this play, which is unimportant, but they bring my grandfather, my grandmother on the other side. So my mom, my mom's uh, dad and my dad's mom, they're in the car with my aunt and my uncle, and they come to see me in this play. And the play's over and nobody says anything. And the next thing you know, it they're having an argument about what diner they're going to go on route for. Like, no, I don't want to go to that diner. That guy owes me money. We're not going to, you know. And I, and I was like, I and so I said, so I just sit next to my grandfather in the back seat, and I said, Pop, what you think? He goes, Which one were you? <laughs> I lost the audience. <laughs> I did not have that experience with my parents. Uh, sometimes it's really tough to impress your parents. Well, when I got married, my uh, my father-in-law would ask my my wife, "What does he What's he do for a living?" He said, oh, "He's a comedian, Dad." Well, well, well what's he do? <laughs> <laughs> comedian, but he does something. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a comedian. Yeah. It was tough for people, the older people like that, to think actually that didn't know anybody in the entertainment field to, to think that you could make a living. They always thought you were a bit, you had to be a big star. Even the travel, they never realized what the travel was like. Yeah, and that that was always tough for me to explain to people that the allure of the travel, though travel is nice, it's you know, hey, that if that if that plane is you know if there's bad weather, I ain't getting home tonight. Right. Right. Or I ain't getting there. Or, I'm getting or there I ain't late. getting there, and now I got to scramble. Sleeping. I'm sleeping in the airport and I'm, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't, I don't miss that at all, man. I don't miss that at all. I miss the, I miss the, the guys, you know, like uh, Tony Orlando's band was a lot of fun. Man. They were a lot of fun. Yeah. What, 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 to hang, to hang know, out with. You know. They were, because, I mean, he was, he must've traveled with a big entourage, right? No, no. He had the, the two girl singers, him, uh, me, and uh, four band guys. Okay, so it wasn't with Dawn. It was Tony Orlando when he had two backups. Well, he, well, they, they, Dawn. I'm talking two backup singers. They were Dawn. You know. Okay. 
but maybe sometimes he only had one, like uh, one of them couldn't make it or something like that. Mel Tillis's band was the was the animals. They they you know they were just partying all the time. Just just to, that's a, that's another group that I mean I don't see you touring with Mel Tillis. I mean where'd you, where'd you where'd you perform with Mel Tillis? Uh, were Harris at Tahoe, Harris and Reno. But he, uh, you know, and the first, one of the first big, big jobs that I ever had was with Eddie Arnold. And I was a little scared because I'm saying, they're going to, but it, it worked out. And then after that, I was just comfortable with these country people. You know, I, I didn't write a question to this, but you did a, a YouTube with a guy about grits and pasta and grits. Pasta and that- grits, Jimmy Travis, one of my, one of my best friends, Jimmy Travis, very, very, very funny guy. Good friends with Mel Tillis too. I, and uh, but uh, we tried to do this thing together. If, it, if we joined forces and, and worked together, we, we came up with this concept of a show. He's very country and I was real Italian. So what do we call the show? Pasta and Grits. We, we basically took his act and my act. He's kind of like my uh, format. Talks about his family, talks about his wife, talks about his kids, talks about his dog. So he would do a story about his wife, let's say. Then I would, we'd stand next to one another, both of us on stage at the same time. And I said, well, and with my wife, it's blah, 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 blah. He says, well, you know, my kid the other day did this. And I said, well, yeah, my kid did. And, and it was back and forth like that. And we had a couple of tunes in there. Which I saw, I saw the Pasta and Grit song. It's on YouTube, everybody. Yeah. Oh, geez, no. But um, we, we worked for a while there with it, but nobody really, uh, nobody really, caught on to it. Nobody wanted it. You know, it's sometimes the best things you do, and I'm not saying that was the best work we ever did, but uh, it was a pretty unique concept. I thought it, people would- I, I enjoyed it. People would eat it right up, but nobody seemed to want it. I, well, I was used to work. I started out working with a partner as a comedy team, the early 70s. This was, was, some, this was somebody school, from school? From college. And uh, he was a, basically a singer kind of guy. He's still my best friend. He lives down here in Fort in uh, Cape Coral also. But he, he was a, a singer. And we got an act together, like a Martin and Lewis kind of thing. You know? Yeah. And we worked. We were working pretty good. We worked, worked quite a bit together. And then he was uh, the music end of it. He wanted to write. He wanted to write. So he decided to, to, to leave the group, uh, group, us two, and go to Nashville and uh, become a songwriter. And he did. He wrote a couple of hits. Uh, full, full heart, Tanya, off the top of my head, full, full heart, Tanya Tucker, memories of old Stan and Tone, Randy Travis. He did a couple of tunes like that. And, and he left Nashville, came back to the Poconos. And we're still drinking buddies, you know. But we were we were a comedy team together. Why, why don't you give him a shout out? What, what's his name? Shout out. Rick Peoples. Rick Peoples. Rick Peoples. Rick Peoples. P-E-O-P-L-E-S. Okay. I just well. talked to him this morning, actually. <laughs> So right about now, Rick and I started having some internet connection problems. So it got a little choppy. We were talking about family. So this is where we come in and Rick's talking about his marriage and his family life in relation to his career. So if there seems to be a continuity issue, that's on me. 40, 45 years I was married. I always tell her it's like being born in captivity. <laughs> that's you know, gotta go tell, over you know she gets, oh don't that again <laughs> you gotta stop telling that yeah my daughter, i'm pretty proud of my daughter you know jillian and my grandson giovanni giovanni now you, you call him geo 
called Gio, Giovanni Valise. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? Yes. Giovanni Valise. In English, that's Johnny Suitcase. Johnny Suitcase. That is so great. Gorgeous kid. Very funny. Very funny. How old is he? He, he was five. He's five today. F Happy birthday, Gio. Hey. Johnny Suitcase. Hey, Johnny Suitcase. <laughs> my, my daughter actually is very funny. Oh, she's hysterical. I mean, it's, her sense of humor is... is uh, Does she think about performing? No, she did years and years and years ago. But uh, I remember she was like five years old and she's at the uh, breakfast table getting ready to go to school and she's eating her cereal, you know, and she's half asleep. I'm going to New York for class, probably. And she goes, well, what are you doing? Uh, and I go, I'm going to New York. I got class days. I got, and then I got to audition after that. I said, oh, okay, bye-bye. And I go out the door. I realize I forgot my sunglasses. So I turn around up the steps, back in the house, up the step, into the kitchen. She looks up and goes, how'd you do? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. At, at five years old, I, I thought that was pretty funny. I want to thank you. For what? For being my friend and being my guest <laughs> and well, I always we, we we did we're in communication there for a long time there but yeah. we, you know, once in a yeah. while touch base with right you. I, I always I always enjoyed your company and I always enjoyed you know talking with you and same here man are you have now you're semi we'll say we're, we're both semi-retired right right so I mean uh do you have any uh gigs coming up you know anytime soon I just did one last week, you know. Yeah. When I'm down here, what's what's uh, pretty fruitful down here for me in the uh, uh, condominium complexes. Right, like the villages. The village. Oh, I just did two up in the villages. Yeah, you know, you, know, you got, Did you wear a mask? Because they're they don't they're not <laughs> vaccinated in that friggin' joint. He got other problems too, sexually transmitted. Things. Oh my! Really? Oh yeah, one of the <laughs> highest concentrations in the country. No kidding. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so I no, think I'm gonna I think yeah. I'm gonna stay away from the villages. They're hip. They're hip. They're yeah. Hip. They may be older, but how old can they be? They might, you know, they're older than me, maybe. You know? Right. But they're hip, you know. So you you play the West Coast? Uh, you ever go down to Miami or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I worked a, a bunch of those. Uh, uh, I did a few last year, not last year because it was a pandemic with uh, Johnny Patillo and. Um, uh, little Anthony, remember Little Anthony Imperials? Yeah, the Imperials. Him down there. Uh, it's a whole different crowd, East Coast and West Coast. It's well, you're talking about Jew and Gentile. Let's let's you know. Well, not so much. Yeah, that that, but it's also Spanish. Well, too. the East Coast, the East Coast is a lot of uh, New York. So you get you get New York, uh, New Jersey, East Coast people living right. on that side, and on the West side. They're all Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, Chicago, 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 that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's a different, different kind of crowd, but I do the same stuff. And I, I love working over there. It's, it's, it's those places that on the East Coast, they're a lot of fun. Man. They're a lot of fun. Is that where you usually caught the um caught the cruise ships out of like Fort Lauderdale in Miami? Yeah, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, New York, uh, anywhere in the world. You know, I've been around the world four times with cruises. You didn't go from like from New York and then took the you know transatlantic. You did that I did, too. I, I've done two or three transatlantics. You're just looking around and all you see is blue for days, days, like a week, seven days. You see. Just remember, your old man when he was on one of those boats was thinking about let's look for <laughs> right. submarines. So right, just remember. Right, right, right. 
just a all around blue, nothing but blue. So good source of work for me in the cruise industry. You know, those, those, now when you, when you performed, I always want to ask the performers, did you stay on the level that, that, you know, employees were on or they gave no. you, they Got gave you a regular, a regular yeah. stateroom? It, it could be anything from a, a suite with a balcony yeah. to, to a regular room with a, but it always had a window, always had a porthole or a window. Crucius Winters met a lot of great people. There was a lot of fun times, but I still prefer casinos. I mean, the, and, and those days are gone. The days when you would hook up with a Tony Orlando, Gladys Knight, or Pointer Sisters or something, and you went to a casino, you worked two shows a night, seven nights a week, and then you moved on. Those days are gone. Nobody's, they come in now. Is that because of the pandemic or the audience yeah. changed? It's just, and, and money, financial. They come in for Friday. Yeah. One show Friday, two shows Saturday. Nothing during the week. Nothing. And who needs an opening act? What do I need an opening act? Why am I paying him for? What do you, we don't need him. We got, they don't come to see him. That's right, because the casino's not paying you. The, no. the act well, is paying you. Sometimes, either one or the other. Most of the time it was the casino. But uh, you. But did you play the that. lounges too when you when you were in you know Tahoe or Reno? Or? No, never did, never did the smaller lounges. I'd go in there after work, you know. Right, to watch a guy. Oh, man. And there were people in there... But, you know, uh, Tower Power, I remember after the show with Tony, we'd go into the lounge there and it was like Tower Power be playing in the lounge. Yeah, the Paul Revere and the Raiders be playing in the lounge, you know, you'd say, wow, what are they doing? The lounges were packed, you know, now those lounges are discos. You know, when Tony, when I remember with Tony Orlando, he had at Harris and we stayed in the hotel, he had two cars available to him. He had a, a Rolls Royce at the, and he had a Cadillac that he could had at his disposal. Well, he hated the uh, the Rolls Royce. He, so he drove around the Cadillac. So the Rolls Royce was sitting at the house. So me and the, his road manager, Larry Maranaki, and a couple of band guys decided we would take the Rolls Royce. So, so there we are, tooling around town in, in a Rolls Royce, pulling up to cars, rolling the window down back and saying, pardon me, but do you have any gray poupon? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm going to close this baby up. Man, Rick, I really enjoyed it. Let me know. I love you, man. I love love you you too, buddy. Good hearing from you. See ya. Good luck. Bye-bye.